Good morning. I'll presume that was good morning in return. <laughs> uh, so this morning we're, we're looking at the, the first of kind of what I would kind of personally call it the, the, the big three attributes of God. And I don't, I don't use that term because they're particularly important, but rather because they are like the infinite ones, the, the kind of uh, omni this and omni that. And they're actually also the ones that our culture most often talks about, you know, that God is uh, omnipresent, that he is everywhere, that he is uh, omniscient, that he knows all things, that he is omnipotent, that he has kind of all power. And, you know, nine times out of ten, these are the types of conversations that we we end up uh, having with kind of friends, family, colleagues. Um, For many non-Christians, Talking about God kind of begins and ends with these things. I'm sure you've had this conversation before. Oh, if if God is all-knowing and he is all-powerful, then what about this? What about that? What do you think about this? How how do we make these things fit together? And actually, I've known some friends who they literally draw the line there. They, They say, if you cannot explain to me how an infinite God does this, then it's not even worth thinking about God. And at that point, you're like, really? 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 Are we, is that where we should draw the line? That if we can't understand something infinite, that we really should stop thinking about it? It'd be like if I was to say that because I don't understand all of cell biology or orbital mechanics or computers, that therefore, let's just like throw out everything in, uh, in, in that space. And so really, I want to look at, first of all, kind of three clear reasons why that is a, a non-starter, why we have to be able to go beyond these things. And, and, and first off, I mean, it's, it's just that, that we are not geared to understand infinite things. That um, if we are just always expecting to understand God completely before we are willing to, to, to think about what faith means in him, then we're not really going to get far. It's like two caterpillars trying to discuss the, the size of a blue whale. That there's, it's just, there's no meaningful measure for comparison. Everything that we can come up with to compare God to, oh, is he bigger or smaller? He's bigger. Is he greater or less? He is greater. That God is larger and greater and more powerful than anything else we can compare him to. And we will always struggle to, kind of to, to, to find a, a suitable box for, for understanding all these things. So the second problem is that thinking about God in terms of just these three things is focusing on the, the what, not, not, not the who, not the character. It's like if you were to ask me to describe my wife to you and I was to tell you that she is uh, five foot four and she has fairly good eyesight, and she has like a university-level education. I mean, I've, I've used three like fairly accurate things to describe her, but I've also told you absolutely nothing about her. And so if we constrain God to just these things of how powerful or how much he's aware of or, or these things, we've actually described virtually nothing of, God, of who God actually is. And so the third problem is that this is not really how God typically describes himself, that we are fortunate to to have in the the Bible, you know, records of of God and kind of revealing himself to mankind over many kind of hundreds and and thousands of years. And when we hear God talking about himself, we hear things like, you know, Leviticus 11, God is holy, 
or Exodus 34, the Lord is merciful and gracious. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 18, the Lord is my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and salvation. First John, God is love. These are the types of ways that God describes himself to us most often. It's in terms of who he is and what his character is. And so what, what I'm really saying here, before we begin our kind of subject this morning, is that it's only useful to talk about what God is in the context of who he is. You need both, otherwise it makes no sense at all. We like to try and put God in a box and say, if you know, if God is all-powerful, then what about this? And, and if he is all-knowing, then what about that? But the problem is that God doesn't fit in our box. There, we, we can never find a big enough box to fit God in. If, if there is a box at all, the box contains the entire universe and everything in it, and it is God's box. We are in the box. We can't, we don't, we're not able to reach outside of that box. We can't interrogate God and demand that he explain more about himself. We are powerless. I, I, I can't test God. I can't check him. I can't, you know, do all the typical scientific things to, to, to see what is he like, what are his properties. I'm powerless. If I'm going to learn anything about God, I need him to reveal himself to me. We need him to reveal himself to us. If God did not want to be known, we would not know him. We would know nothing about him. We only know of God because he chooses to reveal himself to us. And that is why it is wonderful to have our Bible as a record of God's intervention in human history. It's record of him unveiling more of himself and his heart and his character and who he is. This is part of our confidence that God wants to be known. He has revealed himself because he wants us to know him. Not just to know what he is and what he is like, but who he is. What is his heart? How does he feel about us? How does he feel about our world? He wants us to know him. And so this morning we, we finally come to our topic, the, the, the first one of these three, God is all-knowing. He knows all things. Where, where do we begin with that? What does that even mean? First of all, there's nothing that I know, nothing that you know that God doesn't. If you think about the, the most detailed and difficult thing you've ever done, maybe at school, maybe at work or at home, maybe it was an event you planned or a relationship that you built and worked on over years, something that was really, really hard and challenging. And you probably know more about that situation than anybody else. And yet, God knows it. He knows that from the ground up. He knows what else could have happened, what we could have done differently, and what the outcome would have been. God knows the most difficult and challenging things that we've ever done. He knows and remembers our earliest memories, everything we can remember and everything that we don't remember. God was there. God knows and remembers these things. He does not forget. Ultimately, God's knowledge of all things is the true context for his faithfulness. 
He is faithful because he does not forget. There is nothing of which he is unaware. There is nothing of which it is just vague or cloudy in his memory. He knows the end to the beginning. In Exodus chapter 3, God spoke to Moses and he said to him, Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, Moses, I am the God of your great-great-grandfather and his dad and his dad. These people have not walked on the earth for hundreds of years, and I know them. I remember them. I am speaking to you today because I know these men as my friends. And so God's faithfulness is not bound by the things that we see and know on the earth. We forget people. God does not. God knows all people from the beginning to the end. In Psalm 103, it says that from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. This is the context for God's faithfulness, that if I drop dead today or tomorrow, I have no need to fear. The Lord will remember my family, my children, my grandchildren. God is there. That he knows the end from the beginning. And this is not a reason to be, um, to, 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 to be foolish, to, to throw things away, not to plan beyond the end of our lives, not to be able to plan to take care of our families, but it is a reason, a very good reason, not to be afraid. Because God is faithful more faithful than we are able to be. So God knows more than us. Second of all, there's nothing that anybody else knows that God doesn't. If you think about it, there are tens, hundreds of thousands of experts the world over who are you know, pushing forward their PhDs and papers in, in you know, maths and physics and chemistry and engineering. And I mean, there's experts in all sorts of things, in horticulture and baking and music and every, every subject which we are interested in on this planet. And yet, in all these things, God knows more. We, you know, you push your way to the very front of human knowledge. You find out something new only to find out that God has been there first. He knew it all along. And what's more, he designed it. He created these things in the first place. In Genesis chapter one, it describes how God kind of builds the universe from the ground up. And regardless of whether that is kind of six days or billions of years, the point is that God wrote the laws that govern nature. He established and fixed the universal constants. He created and shaped a universe in which we would be able to know him and life would be able to prosper that God is the designer, upholder, sustainer of all things. Every interest and hobby and subject in which we are interested, these are the things which God himself designed and built. And that comes down to a personal level as well. This is why we have so many kind of, you know, funny stories of why, where kind of God stepped into our lives to, to make a difference and change something. I remember when, uh, when Ness and I were, were still dating, I was here in Aberdeen, she was there in Montana, and we were kind of you know, flying back and forth. And uh, we'd kind of set out this plan for how that could work, and all, all the way along we were praying, Lord Jesus, 
We are interested in following you. If this is not from you, tell us, show us. Let's let's put a line under it and, and do something else. But if this is of you, then would you be with us? Would you equip us? And I remember one of the flights um, that I'd taken over. Um, I didn't take over the flight. I was on the flight. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, we, we'd, we'd, we'd been there, and while we were on the, the trip, we realized that we had lost thousands of pounds that we thought that we had. And suddenly, our, you know, our, our theoretical plans about traveling and flying back and forth didn't make so much sense anymore. And we were kind of pondering, you know, is this God telling us to, to draw a line under this? I remember I was sat in the airport lounge after we'd said goodbye and kind of talking to Ness on the phone. We were both really upset and unsure and we don't know what's going to happen and phone starts running out of battery and hang up and put it on charge and I'm sat there in the airport lounge and suddenly I hear a voice. Stephen Tyler to the information desk please. And Stephen Tyler, it sounds a bit like me, I'm not sure. Um, so I, I, I got up and I, I went to, to the desk to, to see the, the uh, stewardess and um, she was saying that actually this flight has been overbooked and there is one passenger on this flight, they found they can actually reroute to their destination faster than their current uh, flight will get them there and that's me. And for my trouble, if I do that, they will give me a thousand pounds off my next flight. And so before I'd even left the country, I had the money to come back. And it's in that moment you're just thankful. It's, it's, it's an intervention you would have never have, um, expected or, or asked for, but God had it right there at the right moment. And this goes beyond our personal situations. It is wonderful, wonderful when God intervenes in our lives. But we see him do this the whole world over. In, in missions, I mean, we, we, we send people out on, on a mission all the time. I mean, uh, Timothy's going out to Ukraine uh, is it this week, is it Monday? Uh, fantastic, and, uh, and, and Josh before him. And, but we find that no matter where we go in the world, God has been there first. I remember uh, talking with some people in, the, in Thailand when I was over there, and they were explaining to me how when the first missionaries came to, uh, to Burma, which is where their people were from, um, they'd, they'd come and met the Burmese people, and the Burmese had given them a slave. One of the people they'd subjugated in, in their country, one of these ethnic minorities they didn't really care about. And, um, and the slave was, was uh, there serving the missionaries and was really, really interested and engaged, was following them everywhere and really trying to understand and figure out what they were saying. And she was so kind of unusually engaged that as they um, kind of broke down those barriers and learned her language and taught her some of their language, they found out that their people, that the Karen people, had a set of legends that had been passed down to their people. They said that in the beginning, God had given their people a book of knowledge on how to know him, their golden book, which had been lost. And they had a legend that one day, a white brother from across the sea would bring them their lost book. And so these missionaries turn up on their doorstep with a kind of gold-edged book. And it's no surprise that today, among the Karen people, 95% of them are Christians. God had been at work there. We find this again and again. There's so many examples that we could spend time on if, if we had it this morning. Wherever we go, 
God is already at work. Even in our own personal lives, our friendships, our family, our colleagues, we, we, we feel unsure. Should I you know, share with this person about my faith or about the gospel? But often God is at work in people before we ever get there. We find this in Alpha all the time, that when we were sharing with people and suddenly they, they start sharing about stuff that God has already been doing in their lives, already kind of lining things up that we never could have seen. God's ultimate knowledge is the context for mission. It is the context for sharing with others because it is his mission and not ours. We are just participating in what God has already started. And next, there is not a person on this planet that God does not know right to the very core of their being and love. This is the foundation of human rights, that no matter how old or how young, how rich or how poor, your value is the same in God's eyes, whether you are born or unborn. Regardless of your ethnicity, your country, language, religion, politics, no matter who you are, God's love for you is the same. Whether you are physically well or unwell, whether you are mentally well or struggling, your value is the same in God's eyes. He loves you, he cares for you, and your value is the same. Even on your worst day you could possibly have, if you were rightly convicted for murder and unspeakable crimes, and everybody disowned you, your friends, your family, that does not change your value in God's eyes. Even then, he calls us to him. This is the context we often see in the Bible, that people, when they are in their, their deepest pit they have ever been in, whether it is of their own doing, and they have wronged others, and they've put themselves into this horrific place, even then, God calls them out. Or if other people have done it to them, if other people have hurt them, enslaved them, punished them, God will rescue and bring them out. This is the story that we see time and time again. And so that's where we come to this morning's passage in Isaiah chapter 55. We'll begin in 54, actually, verse 10. Um, but God's people have been exiled. They've been sent out of their land for disobeying God and, and kind of going far away from him for hundreds and hundreds of years. And they've been brought out. And then God comes back to them here in Isaiah 54 and verse 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O oh, afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will build you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with sapphires. And skip to 55 verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money in what is not bread, and your labor in what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised 
to David. In the moment when God's children were most hurt, most broken, most lost, most cast off from God's presence, he calls them to him. He says, come to me, listen, have life in me. This is how we all experience God. He is the God who always calls us back. This really kind of knocked me sideways that the first time I really encountered Jesus' love because I was fed up with God. I, d- I didn't like that my parents, my, my siblings had kind of become Christians. I didn't get it. I didn't like it. I, I, I hated the very concept of God. And yet in that moment when I realized Jesus' love for me, it was like, man, he knows me. He, he knows without question my hatred of him, and yet he loves me and wants to call me his child. Wow. Wow. The truth is that God's knowledge, all-encompassing knowledge and love for us, his knowledge of the worst of our hearts, that is the true context for his forgiveness. God is able to forgive because he knows us through and through, right to the core. And, you know, this is actually, in many ways, the most terrifying thing about God, that he knows the darkest depths of our hearts, our most shameful thoughts and actions, the things which, you know, we would like to bury. We can't tuck our sin behind a cushion. We can't lock it in a box. We can't kind of just carry on pretending it's not there. If we've got a secret addiction which we're hiding from our friends and our family, we can't just continue and pretend that God doesn't see that. If we've got grudges and bitterness in our hearts towards other people that we get to, you know, forget about the rest of the time, but secretly we're holding on to that and carrying that. We're not going to let that person get away with what they've done. God sees that. He remembers that. He knows these kind of uh, sins and then the depths of our being. Every pound that we withhold from the poor and keep in our own pockets instead, he knows and he sees. He knows your entire text and browser history, no matter how many times you delete it. He knows all these things. Before God, we are totally exposed. He sees it all. And again, this is the context of his forgiveness. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. It's terrifying. I mean, we're, we're afraid of other people knowing the worst things about us in case they will reject us and and kind of put us away and and, and not want to talk to us anymore. And and we think that's how it is with God. But verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's perfect knowledge is the context for forgiveness. When Jesus died on the cross, God already knew all the sin which would ever take place in our lives. He knew them beginning to end, and he chose to forgive us. He chose to atone for our sins by his blood. He chose to make us clean 
whoever would turn to him, turning away from our sin and receive that full pardon, Jesus offers us fullness of life and he offered it knowing full well all that it would cost and all that would be covered. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he separated our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on us. Jesus' blood covers us, and so in his sight, we are fully clean. We are no longer defined by the things that we've broken, the things that we've ruined, the things that we have done. Those things are wiped clean and washed away by the blood of Jesus, and we are defined by the kingdom. We are defined by that relationship that we have from him and his kingdom, which is coming even now. Verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God says that when he acts, It is not with the possibility of failure. When God acts, when God sends his his word forth, it is with the intent and purpose that it will bear fruit, that it will have a lasting effect, that it will change the world, that it will change us. God's perfect knowledge is the context for our ongoing discipleship and our relationship with him. He knows every joy and struggle we have had and will have in the future. And this is the context in which we have our daily walk with him, with this God who from the moment we wake up knows every moment that is ahead of us. He knows every struggle and challenge we will have. And if we only give these things over to him, he will give us all that we need to go through those things safely. And this is what the Bible is all about. This is not a dead book. It is not a dead book like we had in English where you had to kind of, you know, pick and study and try and figure out what all the words meant. This is a living book. It is a conduit of God's spirit that he knows our situations. He knows how we are made and he also knows every word that he has sent forth. He has provided his word in the understanding that it is, um, it is a complete and all that we need for knowing him and, and learning about him. He will guide us and steer us in the way that we read, in the way that we study. And more than that, in our kind of wider discipleship context, in the way that we do life together here on Sunday mornings, Sunday afternoons, all the way through the week in the way that we engage with each other and call each other up and talk about things and and do Bible study together. He knows who's in your small group. He knows who it will take to encourage and and challenge and grow you and who you, you would do well to grow and encourage and challenge. He brings us together in the fullness of his perfect knowledge that he knows how to build up his church. God is the church builder. He He knows how to do this. He knows which bricks should go where and what they do and what they're supporting and how how that's all working. God knows all these things. He knows what we need in every season. All we need to do is ask. And as we close, there's one more verse I'd like to look at in uh, 
Second Peter uh, chapter one. In Second Peter chapter one and verse three, he says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God says that in his divine fullness of power and knowledge, he has given us all that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. This is why this whole series is so important. All these things together, learning about our God and his heart and his character and who he is. Through these things, through persevering in our growth as disciples, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you know us from the end to the beginning. You know the weeks that we've had, the struggles that we have, and the things that are ahead of us. We put ourselves into your hands. Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Help us not to fear and feel like we always need to keep a a tight grip on these things. Would you lead us into the week ahead and be with us now as we continue in worship? In Jesus' name. Amen.